LinkedIn DMs are more serious than Twitter DMs or Facebook <laughs> DMs. If someone DMs you on LinkedIn, they mean it. Serious. They mean it if really they DM serious. me on LinkedIn. It's It is episode four of Glass City Game Time, one of America's great sports podcasts, brought to you by The Blade. My name is Corey Christen, and thank you for listening to this episode four of Glass City Game Time. Before we introduce our panel today and get into the main topics, I want to tell you once again, I hope you listened last week, about Game Track. If you like to keep tabs on who's winning and who's losing in high school football, you have to check out Game Track. Presented by the Taylor Automotive family, Game Track, hosted on ToledoBlade.com, will give you all the local high school football scores as they happen. Again, don't wait for Aunt Maggie, don't wait for Uncle John, don't wait for Cousin Rick to text you. You can get those instantly by visiting ToledoBlade.com and you will see Game Track on the sports page. In case you missed a score, you can log on every Saturday morning for the complete look at who won each game. That's Game Track on ToledoBlade.com forward slash sports. Today's panel to my right is Miss Ashley Bastock. She is the Michigan beat reporter for the Blade. And to my left is Mr. David Briggs. He is the sports columnist for the Blade. And to my immediate left, sports editor Scott McNeish. He will join us momentarily. And then at the end for the editor's perspective. Ashley, first timer on the pod. Welcome. Thank you. First time. Happy to be here after all these trips to Ann Arbor. There's plenty to talk about. We'll get into that shortly here. Big game for Michigan this weekend. Briggsy, welcome back. Good to be here, boys and girls <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen. Mess that up right away, Briggs. <laughs> <laughs> Guys. Scott, welcome back. Hello. Hello. This week, Michigan has another big game coming up, this time at Notre Dame after falling to Penn State last week on a last-ditched effort scoring drive, or what would have been, rather. The Wolverines find themselves at 5-2 and two at number 8 Notre Dame, 5-1. and one. Notre Dame's only loss this season was at Georgia, who at the time were number 3 in the country. Obviously, that has changed as the Bulldogs uh, fell to unranked and probably worst team in the SEC for what my money's worth. And it's in uh, South Carolina. But Ashley, Michigan, a one-point favorite on the road against Notre Dame. And I would say a large part of that is because of the way they played against Penn State last week. But that game in general, you've talked about it a little bit off air here, felt kind of do or die for Michigan. Where is this season exactly at now? Well, I think at this point, all of Michigan's big goals are gone. There's really no hope of going to Indianapolis to play for a Big Ten championship. There's Really no hope of going to the college football playoffs. You would essentially need Ohio State and Penn State to both spontaneously collapse (laughs) and collapse of their own doing. Like everything is out of Michigan's hands at this point. So all they can really do is try and win these big games that are left. And who knows if they'll be able to do that. But I think that's kind of where the season stands. Like do or die time was last week against Penn State. There is no more do or die for Michigan. The big goals are essentially dead. Now, that being said, there are some positive takeaways for Michigan. Briggsy, I want to bring you in here. A quarterback, Shea Patterson, we've seen his play elevate over the last couple of weeks. Had a pretty big game against Penn State and really was the reason why Michigan was in that later in the fourth quarter. Yeah, absolutely. It's the best I've seen Shea play this year by far. And kind of, you know, back to the the free and loose and 
and uh, you know, scrambling and, and confident guy we saw for a lot of a lot of times last year, and really haven't seen it all this year. And yeah, it's it's like Ashley said, it's 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 a little bit hard to read that game just because you're down twenty-one nothing right off the bat, and I don't know. It just completely changes the entire dynamic of the game once you're... I mean, it felt like it was over. A good good fight, good heart coming back, great plays by Shea. But it also felt like a lot of that was on maybe Penn State thinking the game was over, their defense getting tired at the end. I don't know if that's a, a huge building block and they found something or if it's just a reflection of odd things happen in a game that kind of felt was was over. So it'll be really interesting to see how it carries over to this week. Well, is this a time to look for building blocks when you're a team like Michigan where... The USA Today just came out with the numbers that Jim Harbaugh is the third highest paid coach in college football, and you get all these five-star blue-chip recruits, and then you find yourself at a two-loss team through seven games. I don't know what exactly to say other than we've seen the improvement of Shea Patterson over the course of the season, and now they're starting to figure out the running back room, which is where I wanted to go next. And Zach Charbonnet and Hassan Haskins virtually split carries 15-13, to but Charbonnet way more productive on the ground. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where things stand going forward. With a recruit of that caliber, he came in and produced from basically the first game on, started the first game of the season against Middle Tennessee, and you know against Wisconsin, they said he was limited from an injury. Zach Charbonnet wouldn't really go into detail when we talked to him a couple weeks ago about what exactly that was. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think he's kind of your bell cow back, and then you have a room of guys around him, mainly Hassan Haskins, but also True Wilson, whose biggest asset is probably his pass protection. Um, and then you can throw Christian Turner in there as well, and he's had a handful of good games. He ran really well against Rutgers, I believe. Uh, so you kind of work those guys in around Charbonnet, but he's definitely, I think, going to be the person that gets the lion's share of the carries just based on talent alone. Lion's share, or is it still going to be leaning towards a bit of a committee approach? I would say maybe a committee but I'm not entirely convinced just because it has varied so much from game to game we saw Hassan Haskins have a really good week against Illinois like I said we saw Christian Turner have a really good week against Rutgers like it has varied and I think it has taken some time and I mean I think that's the offense of a whole as a whole right I think maybe the expectations for it were set a little too high but of course Michigan put themselves in this position to kind of expect a first-year offensive coordinator to be a savior and come in and not have any issues, but they kind of needed him to do that, so I think it says a lot about the program as a whole and what these expectations were coming into it, and the running backs is just like kind of a microcosm of that, that they're still, I think, trying to figure some things out. Notre Dame's offense averaging just a shade under 40 points a game, and their defense is allowing 17 a game. Briggsy, is this a bigger game for Michigan's offense or Michigan's defense? <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, it's a, it's a big game for Michigan, period. And just to go get – I'll get to that one second. But just to get to your point on how it's kind of funny we're talking about building blocks this late in the season, I think the end of the game just kind of put the Harbaugh era and put a perfect bow on it. When you three yards to go, yeah, it feels like you're a million miles away from, from getting over the hump there. I mean – for the Michigan fans, and I understand it, I mean, they did show good fight. They they showed some things late in the game. But to cast that in any way as a positive just kind of tells you everything about Michigan. And if we're talking about moral victories in year five when he has all of his guys and now you're 1-10 against top 10 teams, I mean, I don't really know what more there is to be said. And 
I mean, they both need to step up. But one other thing beyond Harbaugh that's interesting is where is Dr. Blitz and Don Brown in these in these big games? It feels like, and I, I, I bought into it completely. He's been a great coach at every stop. But where where is this vaunted shutdown defense in the big games going back to going back to Ohio State, going to Wisconsin and even Penn State on on Saturday night. So it's huge to continue the momentum of the offense for Michigan. It's also another huge test for uh for Don Brown whose whose mystique is fast fading. Let's talk about Notre Dame for a second, kind of in the scope of that Michigan defense where in book one of the more dynamic quarterbacks in the country. They have a pair of tight ends who can block well and can catch well. And then one of the top receivers, I would say, in the country at Chase Claypool. And Michigan's pass defense last week against K.J. Hamler at Penn State, they let Hamler kind of run amok on that defense. So how is that containment of Book and these tight ends and Claypool, where does that really come from? So for me, the main issue against Hamler, who gouged them on a few big plays, and both of his touchdowns came when Michigan had him in single coverage situations using their safeties, which makes no sense because this kid is one of the fastest kids in the country. The Penn State coaches in the spring clocked him at a 4.28 40-yard dash time. Uh, and for comparison, the fastest yard, the fastest 40-yard dash time in the NFL Combine last year was 4.29 seconds. So this kid is fast. He's not super big. Chase Claypool is super big. He's 6'4", so he has that aspect that Michigan's going to have to account for. And I think if you're going to see safeties going up against these top receivers in these single coverage situations, it's just not going to work. They need to figure out a way to get their secondary more involved there as a whole to kind of go along with what Briggs was saying. Um, And then the other part of it is, I think, is accounting for a great offensive line. Notre Dame's kind of known for having a great offensive line. They're one of the best in the nation when it comes to pass protection. And Sean Nua said on on Wednesday, when he talked to the media that the Notre Dame tight ends are also really good in protection in that regard. And he said it's almost like they practice together. So I think those are two of the biggest keys for me, I guess, on uh, the defensive side. I would want to ask Ashley, how was your trip to State College? Because I've always said, yeah. <laughs> on a completely different note, a little behind the scenes here, I mean, that that's my favorite scene. It's obviously the hardest yeah. place in the league to get to, but it's my favorite scene once you're there. And you were there for the whiteout on Saturday night. How cool yeah. was that? The whiteout was even cooler than I expected. I mean, to counter that, the drive was definitely the worst part of the trip i was yeah. complaining about it all week because i knew how bad it was rolling hills <laughs> yeah but i let's just say <laughs> i could never have imagined going to school there based on the drive alone and where i would have been coming from in ohio but yeah the whiteout is definitely one of the greatest atmospheres and um as somebody who grew up kind of going to ohio state games and seeing the horseshoe like it's definitely up there i think in one of the better environments i've seen in college football and just the whiteout atmosphere and the sweet caroline and the pom-poms you got all it going at the same time it's pretty crazy and it night too. What you mean driving through central Pennsylvania on Interstate 80 <laughs> wasn't entertaining for it's you? It's not how I would like to spend my normal Saturday but you know I was willing to take one for the team. It's actually kind of cool a little bit. It's The drive's not that fun but once you, you drive for hours and hours into the middle of nowhere then you see the valleys and then 110,000 people just congregated like just where is this? And it's just, I don't know. Yeah, it's, well, it's pretty. And the other thing about State College is there are no hotels there. So right, if you're right. ever planning on going to a game there, you pretty much have to stay an hour outside of the city. So a bunch of reporters are staying in Altoona or staying in Du Bois, where I was staying. And 
you kind of are driving then that last hour in the city and you get there and you see 110,000 people and you're like, literally, where did this population come from? Because there is nothing around here. So it's pretty impressive like that they're able to get that many people at those games and that the atmosphere is what it is. Worth noting, Penn State's agricultural school is really good. And did you eat the ice cream? Oh, yes. Okay. We went to Berkey Creamery and it was everything. <laughs> they have it in the press box too. Also, they best do. press box food in the Big Ten. That is hands down the best press box food in the Big Ten and honestly it's going to be real tough to go back and go to anywhere else because that is some of the best food. The ice cream, if you are in State College, you have to go to Berkey Creamery. Um, it's just about a mile or so away from the stadium and honestly delicious. Some of the still best have ice the cream peachy I've ever paterno. had. That was still in the press box. Yeah. That's exactly the flavor that I, that I had on my mind. Yeah. That's the best one on the list. You have to get the peachy paterno if you're in State College or for the fact of that matter wherever they sell the Penn State ice cream and it's accessible to you. That is by far the best flavor. So, Michigan at Notre Dame. It just stuns me that this is a one-point Michigan favor game. Based on what we've seen from Michigan over the last few weeks, my total unbiased, thoughtful Eastern Ohio opinion here would say, wow, really? So, I guess anything could happen theoretically this coming weekend. While we're on the subject of this game, any final thoughts regarding it? Really, what Michigan's side on Notre Dame's side, Briggs, you got anything that's on your mind regarding this? No, not really. I'll be at the uh, Ohio State-Wisconsin game, actually, the, the game with playoff implications. Um, <laughs> no, I think it is an interesting line. You're right. It's kind of like Vegas is trying to bait you into into going with Michigan there. And, and there's a lot of I, – I do think Michigan has more talent on paper. Obviously, it hasn't come together quite yet. But – as much as I, I'm not entirely impressed by Notre Dame, and as much as we saw late from Michigan, I just, just same with my preseason pick. You know, I picked Michigan last year. I told myself I won't do it again until Harbaugh proves it. I won't pick Michigan in a top ten game until I see it again. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I just can't do it. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with Briggs at this point. They haven't beaten a top ten team since 2016 against Wisconsin, which is wild when you think about it and you look at it from that standpoint of it has literally been years um I do definitely agree I think the odds are all like a Vegas ploy basically at this point um the one other thing I did want to add about Michigan offensively is when Che Patterson talked to the media this week he mentioned that he felt Penn State was the first time he was actually healthy. So kind of adding on what Briggs was saying earlier, I think maybe there is something to the offense maybe has kind of found something, but I think there's still kind of a lot of issues and uh, a lot of things that Michigan needs to work through. But Shea said he feels healthy, and uh, that was maybe the first game all year that he's felt that way. Yeah, Patterson, 24-41 for 276. That was his career high or season high? Uh, It's high to season high. He is definitely improving. There's no question about that. So if we are talking about silver linings, if we are talking about the underlying story here, it's that Shea Patterson is improving. We're going to take a quick timeout here on Glass City Game Time. Scott McNeish, the sports editor of The Blade, will join us for the editor's perspective. And we'll continue the discussion right here on Michigan Football. All right, back in here on Glass City Game Time. And joining me for the editor's perspective is Blade Sports Editor Scott McNeish. Now, Scott, Jim Harbaugh, it was a recent article from the USA Today that came out and revealed the highest-paid coaches in college football. For what it's worth, Ryan Day is currently 22nd, but that's not who we're talking about here. Jim Harbaugh clocks in as the third-highest-paid coach in college football at $7.5 million this year. That is behind 
Clemson's Dabo Swinney, and Alabama's Nick Saban, both of which have won national championships. So Michigan, currently 5-2, and two, have had big expectations for the last few years, ever since Harbaugh got there, really. The main topic in this is, is he living up to that contract? Yeah, great question. Um, I think most people would say no. And it's been three straight years where he's been in the top three. And I think that that looks really bad right now. If you rewind to a couple of years ago, before they got Harbaugh, he was the Messiah. And people basically said, blank check, do whatever you got to do to get him. And they did. (laughs) And I think a lot of Michigan fans were very, very happy about that. Give him what he wants and get him here. Now, that doesn't look that great. But you got to, I think, remember that at the time you needed to get him, he was the best case scenario. But now that doesn't look that great. When you look at the two people above him, yeah, those are no-brainers. But man, he's got to at least get to Indy or at least win something of, of substance to be in that kind of level, you would think, right? So, yeah, it it doesn't look great, especially after this year. Big-time expectations haven't lived up to them yet. Maybe won't, but, yeah, that does not look that great. And Ryan Day is going to move up. I think everyone can pretty much agree on that. In fairness to the, oh, we need to get Jim Harbaugh in here, it was warranted. I know hindsight's always twenty twenty, Sure. But it was well-warranted. Look at the work he did at Stanford. Oh, yeah. Groomed Andrew Luck into a very successful NFL quarterback. Sure. The work he did at San Francisco, taking that team to a Super Bowl. The work that he's done as far as recruiting is concerned, being a top 10 recruiting class in two of the last three years, you would think, okay, this works. This is working. But the results in the win-loss column have been different. Yeah, 2 plus 2 is equal to 5. It, it's really a, a fascinating thing because... He was, I think a lot of people would have paid him that money back then to get him, including NFL teams who, you know, they wanted him. They want to go to Super Bowls. So, yeah, he was one of the best football coaches, whether you're talking about college or pro, in the land. And so what do you do? I guess that's the big thing with Michigan. What do you do if that doesn't work? What is plan B? Is there a plan B? Because it seemed like Harbaugh was plan A through Z. (laughs) That had to work. What do you do now? And I think that's the fascinating debate among Michigan fans. Does there exist a hot seat for Harbaugh? I don't know. The cliche of, okay, what's his record against Ohio State? As a litmus test, it might get overused, but the truth of the matter is it's not. It's not an overused concept. Look at the coaches historically at Ohio State that have not done well against Michigan. Traditionally, they have not done well in their own careers. Coaches at Michigan who don't do well against Ohio State, a.k.a. currently Jim Harbaugh, tend to not pan out over the course of the rest of college football. Yeah, I think you have to compare it to that because right now Ohio State is the class of the Big Ten. They're national contenders every year. If you're going to be what Michigan fans expect their program to be, yeah, you got to beat them. Or just win big games in general. But then you got to beat Ohio State. None of those have happened. So I think, yeah, Michigan has a real problem. What are they going to do when the Messiah doesn't work out? It's not that, in recruiting at least, in this perspective, Ohio State's blowing the doors off of Michigan in recruiting. Ohio State, third-ranked recruiting class coming into this year. Michigan, nine. So it's not a huge gap. Michigan, 
Currently no five stars, but 11 four stars, 13 three stars. Ohio State, two five stars, 13 four stars, nine three stars. So it's not a far off comparison when it comes to recruiting. But at the end of the day, what's in the win-loss column, where you finish in the Big Ten, and whether you get to the college football playoff, that's your tell-all. I think that's a great point, because if you look at Harbaugh's best year, you could probably argue it was the first one or the second one. Those are Brady Hoke's guys who are primed and ready to go. So I think that's a whole other argument is, yeah, he's been able to recruit. What has he done with it? Has he been able to produce or groom this talent into NFL guys? Yes, kind of. But, man, he took over some some really good players and did some good things. But you have to go to the quarterback. I think that's everybody's go-to when they're complaining that he's supposed to be the quarterback guru and you haven't really had one you've had to go the transfer route and that even that hasn't gone that great yeah there's there's a lot of questions and it's year five and it's not a situation where it's like well let's see what he can do like we know what he's doing is it good enough for michigan neither of us are sitting here to say the clock's ticking on jim harbaugh I no no i don't know if there is a clock that's the whole thing is is he immune to a clock great question that might be a uh, storyline to revisit down the road but for now scott thank you for joining the podcast as always you're welcome those of you listening at home before we get out of here i want to remind you about game track and if you like to keep tabs on who's winning and who's losing in high school football game track is the place to be i used it friday night last week i know scott did i know our technical producer phil kaplan used it last friday night to check on their favorite local team and their score presented by the taylor automotive family Game Track, hosted on ToledoBlade.com, will give you all the local high school football scores as they happen. To be on your game, visit ToledoBlade.com forward slash sports every Friday evening. And in the event that you missed your team's favorite score on Friday, you can log on Saturday mornings for the complete look and the complete rundown at who won and lost each game. That's Game Track, presented by Taylor Automotive Family, hosted on ToledoBlade.com forward slash sports and that's going to do it for episode four of glass city game time for ashley bastock for david briggs for sports editor scott McNeish, and for technical producer phil kaplan my name is Corey christen we'll talk to you next week we are out